Hello, my friends. Welcome to the On the Hard Days podcast. I haven't done one of these updated intros in quite a while, so I wanted to touch base about a couple of things. First of all, a huge thank you, huge, to all of you for helping me reach my goal of 100,000 downloads by the second anniversary of the podcast, which was the end of January. And we made it, uh, gosh, far ahead of time, like a week and a half or two weeks ahead of time. Um, I couldn't have done that, obviously, without you. You listeners, you are sharing it with other people. Um, You are making this podcast what it is, and I'm so grateful for that. And with that being said, going forward, here is what I envision for this show. First of all, as you guys know, this is the only show that I can find that features regular everyday moms and now dads to share their experiences of what it's like to raise a neurodivergent child. It is not advice-based. I do not bring professionals on for the most part, um, with few exceptions. It's not that kind of podcast. There's a place for that, absolutely, and I listen to them too, but this is for validation. This is to hear your own experience be shared out of the mouths of other people. And that feeling of knowing that you're not alone is priceless. And so if you are a fan of the On the Hard Days podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could do any of the following. Number one is share it with other people. Share it with therapists, with psychologists, with um, school staff, with pediatricians, Share it with anybody that you think would benefit from hearing from other moms and dads about what it's like in this journey. Number two is leaving a review. Now, I know it's kind of a pain to leave a review and and it's easy to sort of toss that one out there. I get it. I hear the same thing from other podcasts and how many times do you actually go and do it? But Apple Podcasts pushes out the show to more people based on how many reviews that it gets. And so if you go to Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, that's an app, or you can uh, type it into Google, and you can scroll down when you get to my podcast, scroll to the bottom, and it will say, um, leave a rating or review. And you can click the five stars or leave an actual comment. And the more ratings that there are, the more people will find it when they're searching for podcasts about raising neurodivergent kids. So if you have time in your day, I would greatly appreciate it um, if you you took a minute to leave some feedback, leave a review um, for the podcast. And between that, between leaving a review and sharing it with other people, I think that that is a lovely way to get the podcast into more ears. Um, The highest it has been ranked so far to this day uh, on the U.S. charts for parenting is number 28, which is fantastic and so amazing. And so I would love to see the podcast being heard by more people around the world, getting in more ears. Um, Again, it's all about the validation. And there are still so many people Um, who have never heard their story be told by someone else before. Lastly, if you want to be on the show, because that's what's going to keep this going, right? Moms like you, dads like you, if you're listening, dads, um, bringing you guys on the show is what's going to keep the show moving forward. Um, It is a motherhood podcast, generally speaking. But in the past couple of months, I've started to bring dads on for my special series called Father Fridays, which is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. Every Friday, I bring a dad on and share what it's like 
um, for him to raise a neurodivergent child. And we talk a lot about um, the stereotypes uh, for dads in our society and how these dads have accepted diagnoses and um, and, and handled this this life that, that they are living. Um, and I find the conversations absolutely fascinating. But the Mama Monday episodes are just as important and so validating as well. And so every Monday, I bring a mom on the show to share what it's like from her perspective. So if you are a mom or a dad and you are open to sharing your story, and yes, people are going to hear it, but they're going to be validated and encouraged and they're going to finally feel like they're not alone, then I would love to have you on for a chat. And so here's what you need to do. Go to my website, ontheharddays.com. And at the very top of the website is a spot where you can click on join me on the podcast and it will take you to a link with my calendar and you can pick a day and time that works for you to record. If there are no days and times available, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can email me at ontheharddays at gmail.com um, for more time slots. But for the most part, go to that website. In fact, going to my website is going to give you all the information that you are probably wondering about between the podcast itself, Mothers Together, my community, my um, online uh, monthly community for moms raising neurodivergent kids, um, and anything else that I'm working on, you're going to find it all on my website. So again, it's ontheharddays.com. Any questions, you know how to find me. Find me on Instagram is my my number one spot um, at on the hard days with dots in between each word. And as always, my friends, thank you so, so much for listening and supporting me. I greatly appreciate it. It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. So I'm welcoming Anna MacArthur. Thank you so much for being here on the On the Hard Days podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to get to talk with you. Me too. And I'm excited to get to know you. And that's really the best place to start all of our conversations that I have with moms is just tell me a little bit about you and your family. Of course. So we live in Athens, Georgia. Um, I have four kids, two are college age, they're 20 and 21, um, that are biological kids. And then we have adopted twins who are 14. So they're in eighth grade. Um, and we kind of doubled our family in a weekend with the adoption. It was a pretty fast one. And um, like it was time for them to come from home from the hospital. And we were kind of scrambling to kind of make it all official. Um, they were born at 30 weeks. And I think at the time, I didn't understand fully. And that's okay. That's okay to not have all the information going in. That's true of biological and adopted kids. But how much school would be a challenge? 
um, for the twins. They have processing speed, learning disabilities, and ADHD. Um, but one of my twins is struggling more than the other. And I think um, some of that is personality. And I think some of it is, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I <laughs> it's, it's so hard because three things, you know, I have three other kids that discipline, expectations, um, just general family life works for. And then one that I feel like we're always kind of needing to find strategies. And um, I feel like we have kind of this arsenal of therapists and tutors. And I figured out how to manage that. I can do that. I think one of the reasons I found your site, one of the things that I've struggled with and I've been a mom for 21 years. I mean, this is not a new gig for me, but my twin that we're struggling with has started to get in trouble at school. And I think for a long time, I felt like, okay, she won't be at grade level reading. You know, we won't, school will always be hard. We'll have to make it a family effort to get her through high school. But she was still being respectful to teachers and, and those things that were super important to me. And then, so something about that, about getting the calls from school and every time I see an email from school and being called in for extra conferences, something about that kind of broke me um, in a way that, you know, I mean, for her specifically, we have a psychiatrist to help with meds and we have, you know, we've just done all the academic testings. We're working with that psychologist and then her therapist that we've had for years and all of that I could manage. And it felt like we were making progress, but there is, I'm sure it's my stuff and I have a really good therapist. So that's good too. <laughs> um, you know, this sense of, okay, now, now we're in behavioral issues um, and putting aside, it's been humbling. And there's something about behavioral issues mm -hmm. where speaking from experience, society doesn't look at behavioral issues the way they do with, let's say, physical disabilities. When you have someone, a defiant kid, um, a disrespectful kid, that could be so many different things. And people's quick judgment is usually to bad parenting. Yeah. And you don't see that necessarily as um, a, a neurodivergent component, a, a disability at all. Right. And and that's, for me, that's what it is. It's, it's like, okay, my kid was super disrespectful to me in public and I'm mm -hmm. really embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I'm worried that other people are, are just going to think I'm allowing my child to walk all over me when really there's a lot more to the story that people just don't understand. Right. Right. And it's embarrassing. It is. It is. And um, really tempting to want to like trot out my other kids as a way to be like, but look, look how hard we're trying and, and they're doing well. And, you know, just this sense. And I've known this for decades and I still have to remind myself all the time that my kids are not walking report cards of my abilities as a parent. Um, that's not their job. It's, it's not fair. It's not their job. Um, but it's tempting, especially, you know, if you're struggling with some and one's doing great, it's, you know, it's one of my really good friends says to always be careful about that voice that wants to 
justify your family or brag on your family or whoever, you know, at the grocery store that you cannot listen to her. She isn't trustworthy. <laughs> that voice in your head doesn't know the whole story. Just stop. Um, it doesn't really help anybody, but um, yeah, that behavioral piece, I think has been the most challenging lately for me. Yeah. I, I understand that too. And, and one of the things that it took me many years to internalize and believe is that just the way our struggling kids cannot help it. Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to an extent, there's obviously strategies that can be put into place, but they are who they are. It's the same with kids who are well-behaved. And I had to learn that from my other two, where it was like, well, how come they're listening and, and he's not? And so I thought, what did I do right to get those two to listen? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> they just happen to be easier kids. Yeah. yeah. And seeing all kids, no matter their age, for this is just the way they're wired. But right. internalizing that, and I don't know about you, but I, um, a first daughter, people pleaser, introverted, (laughs) highly sensitive, um, and just want to make people happy and make my parents happy and make teachers happy. And then to have a defiant, struggling kid is really just ruins everything within you about how you feel about yourself too, as a mom. Right. Do you feel like that struggled for you? Definitely. And then how much do you share? I mean, my kids are getting older, you know, they're, they're 14 and some of this is their story and not mine. And then also I want our extended family and our friends to, to always be on her side, you know, to, I want everybody in her corner. So I don't want to hold a press conference every time, you know, we hit something new, but I also, I know that I need help. I need, I need support too, you know, and I think it's been helpful. I know at least with my parents and, in the families that I'm closest to, to kind of say, this is a little bit about what's going on. Christmas is iffy. (laughs) Just to kind of give everybody a heads up. Um, I've loved your segments about what, you know, people wish they could say. And one of the things that I've really thought about lately is I think unless you have a child like this, you can't imagine the strategizing that is happening every day. So true. Um, I mean, if it's, okay, we're going to need to do pictures before Easter. How can we get the clothes right so that she doesn't freak out? We're going to try to do a family trip. When should we introduce it? Which pieces will she get on board with? Because you know you're going to meet resistance. So it's how much resistance. Um, And I think that strategizing is kind of, it's really tiring. That's what I was going to say was exhausting because even if, whether you're talking all of that out with family, a partner, whoever, or you're just thinking it, it's constant, no matter the age, right? My kids are the same. Um, whether it's more sensory based, like this, this particular, um, thing they have to wear for a a concert is, is not going to work. What are we going to do? Or if it's something like a trip, if you introduce it too early, tons of anxiety. If it's too late, um, you know, they haven't had time to mentally prepare. It just the, the massive amount of overthinking and analyzing that you have to do just to run a home in a normal quote, you know, traditional way. Right. It is and without having the other kids resentful, um, 
Right. You know, I don't, I don't want to walk around and think and have her feel and the other kids feel like, oh, well, she just ruins everything. You know, that's a rotten way to go through the world to carry that. And I know she can't help it. I know she wishes she were, um, that it just, everything was easier, but it's not, it's hard. And I think the strategizing kind of feels like a low grade fever. <laughs> it's that's just a, that's a great of, way to put it. Kind of just in our family, you know, it's not like ICU. It's not this emergency. It's not like send meals to our family. We're in crisis. It's just this kind of just constant. Um, yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. One of the things that I used to struggle with, with the siblings when my son was younger and had those big, big, big meltdowns, knowing that these tiny little things were going to set him off. Mm-hmm. For example, not going this when he was really young, not going first in a game. Mm-hmm. So do I always let him go first because he's going to throw the game board, lose his absolute mind the whole thing isn't even going to happen. But what does that tell my other two kids that he always comes first because his needs are more important. So obviously we didn't do that. And then you just, but then you have the meltdown and then nobody wants to play anyway. And it's, that's just one tiny example of how you just don't know how to weigh out the needs of all of your kids. Right. But especially the one who's struggling. Right. Do you feel like I mean, you mentioned your parents, like, do you have support that really gets it or not quite to the level that you wish they did? I have um, three amazing girlfriends here in town. And I feel like with all of our kids, there is, we all know all of it, you know, and that has been incredibly helpful. And then I think I've been more open with my parents in the last year or two um, because I've, I've needed their support. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I wasn't hiding it. I mean, I'm very close to my parents, but also they knew something was up. They knew that I was struggling with some of her new mental health challenges. And, um, you know, they know there are parents, they know something is up. So I'm finding more support and I've found a group in town. It's called Parenting Quirky Kids. And that's kind of an, a Facebook group. And that's been really good for resources. You know, I think quirky doesn't quite capture, like quirky makes me think of like, you know, your fun aunt who wears great hats, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and this has been kind of like yeah. what meds work has yes. been for. And, and I wish there was a term. I know neurodivergent is really helpful. I wish there was something between kind of like full special ed yeah. um, And then kids that you can just drop off and they'll be fine. My kid that I'm having, that I'm struggling with, I can't just drop her somewhere. I can't drop her at a practice. I can't um, just drop her at a friend's. I can't, there just has to be a lot around it. A lot of managing. So it's, it's not a high maintenance kid because um, she's not a diva, but it is a, Hi, hi. I don't know the right, I wish I could think yeah. of the term so I could describe it better to people that just this, um, high, high needs almost, but not high maintenance. Right. Right. Um, but it's tough. There isn't a good word and that spectrum is so big. Right. Right. But it requires management. Yeah. 
whatever the opposite of autopilot is. Manual. <laughs> manual. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not autopilot. And I know autopilot, you know, mm-hmm. I have other kids that are that way. And I, I sometimes want to tell people I'm not doing this for fun or to fulfill some of my own needs or I know what it is to have kids who are independent. Um, I have to do this still. Yeah. Yeah. So you must've come to a point then where you wrapped your brain around it, what you just said, that I have to do this, that she's not going to be able to get through her day-to-day life in the way that my other children do. And what was that like for you to internalize that and accept that? I mean, it's still a struggle, you know, I think, um, but you know, she has a a twin sister, not identical, but a twin sister. And so I have somebody side by side that I'm doing the same things. They were raised in the same house (laughs) by the same parents and it's, they're on different paths. So I, I think I have come to accept that this is just going to be hard um, with her and that has actually helped me feel more protective of her, um, which is a really good feeling for me. I think there was a stretch. It wasn't resentment because you never want to feel that about your kid or anger, but just exhaustion, I think. And I'm at a, a place now where I, you know, especially with school and different things where I do feel protective because if not me, then, you know, then who, who is going to be protective of her and say, you know, especially with some school things, I don't need to hear every, everything that you don't like she's doing. Um, maybe let's kind of come up with a plan for, for what I actually need to know. Cause it undoes me when wow. I schools, because she's at a really small school yeah. and some of it was, she was being loud in the hallways and I just can't, that kind of derails me and it's not necessary. And so one of the things that I said, I don't know if this, I mean, I'm making this up as I go along. We all are. So I just said, I'm working on this thing for work for the next week or so. Email my husband, email her dad. If there's something behaviorally we need to know, because I also was getting the sense that I was super available Um, and they didn't email him. I think it's different with dads. They know I'm at home. Um, and maybe she had a great week that week, or maybe they just were like, we're not going to bother her dad at work with mm. this. Mm. And that, that, that like gets my leg flashing. Like, no, no, that's right. That's not fair. Right. Um, but I also don't know why, why they feel the need to tell you every little thing. She's 14, not three. Right. I'm not sure what their purpose is unless they're still thinking this is the only thing I I can think of. They, if they're still thinking that these behavior related things, even if they're minor, like being loud in the hall mean that you have not done something correct in parenting her. So therefore you need to know about it because why else would they tell you've got a lot bigger fish to fry than being loud in the hall. Like what's the point? Right. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think, Um, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And I, I do think, um, it's not that helpful to me to hear a list. Um, like I used to have a rule for myself with IEP meetings 
that I would wait, like I would make myself, I was not going to cry in the meetings, you know, and this was, (laughs) this was, you know, about their learning disabilities. And it was never great news when I went in, it was kind of, you know, how, how they were making progress, but not where we need to be. It was never like, we're done here, you know, no more need for an IEP. I mean, it was always increments of like, how bad is it going to be? And I would just say, okay, I'm not going to cry till I get to the car. Like that's, that's my rule for myself because I have to be in there and advocate for them. And it's not comfortable for me, but a crying mom isn't, you know, I, I can't get them what they need if I can't hold it together long enough. And now I've, I'm less likely to cry in a meeting, but I'm also a little bit hardened and I don't know if that's good or not. Um, but I think you can only do this for so long without kind of getting a little bit tougher and a little bit of a sense of, okay, what is, what of this is, let's triage it. What of this is, do I need to know what is super, super important and what is just annoying? Cause I know it's annoying. We live, we live with it. I'm sorry that it's annoying. What do I actually need to know? Because I, mm-hmm. this is a long stretch we're in. Yeah. Um, you said that really well. And, and that's, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, again, she's 14. So you have been living this and mm-hmm. she has been living this yeah. from birth. Right. So it's, it's almost as if they, they, they feel like you need to know every little thing as if it's not happening at home, as right. if she doesn't have a long history of struggling. Right. That right. would drive me crazy. Yeah. That really would drive me crazy. Um, so no wonder you you go in there hardened because, you know, uh, you're not going to be, oh my gosh, she was loud in the hallway. Oh my, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, we'll try harder at home. Like, what are they looking to hear? She, she's right. struggling. Right. Also, right. teenagers are always loud in the hall. That's what teenagers do. Right. And I think she has a, a really great therapist, Katie does, that's really been helpful to me because she's always in her corner. And so when I went to her and said, the school wants strategies for disrespectful behavior, you know, this is brand new this year. Um, There's some new young teachers and she's not very respectful enough. And right away, Katie's therapist was like, well, what's different this year? What's going on that's bringing out this behavior? And I'm not sure this is on her. Like what's changed structurally and what do we need to look at? And that was so helpful because I was, you know, I was there with my pencil. And I was like, okay, what are our strategies that I can go back to the school with? And she really backed it up to say, I hear a kid who's struggling in a new way. And one of the things that they had done at their school was it's a really small school, but they put all the eighth graders together instead of they used, it's more Montessori based and it used to be grouped by grade. So all of a sudden she was in with people her age and she can't keep up including her twins with her twin sister. So once I can kind of look at that and say, well, of course she's acting out. She can't keep up. Um, That kind of helped. And maybe that's where some of the protectiveness that I've, that I've felt towards her. Um, You know, as somebody at school was not hard for me and it was a great vehicle to get where I wanted to go. And I can't imagine having to spend every day doing something I'm terrible Yes. But terrible at, but it's so, so hard for me. Yes. Um, like I have terrible spatial intelligence. I get lost everywhere. What if I had to spend every day, you know, navigating with the map 
like I would act out too. get out of it. Yeah. I, I love the way that you are looking at that. And I think that's, that's the way you, you have to look at it. And the other thing is she has an IEP. They need to come up with the strategies. That's their job. It, it's, it's, you shouldn't have to go to the therapist with the pencil and paper, which I totally understand why you do. And I would too. That's just in our nature too. We want to fix and solve. Right. And, right. But like, that's literally the school's job. Yeah. And, and it's okay. We, this is a school problem and right. it's a mind, this particular one that you mentioned is a minor one. So what can you guys do? Don't mm-hmm. turn it on me. What can you guys do to make the day more smooth for her? Right. You know, she's in that building. Um, and so that's, that's on them. And so, look, this does sound like, you know, uh, this isn't, this isn't necessarily her. She, she doesn't just change all of a sudden. This is something right. about the environment is not working right. as she gets older. And um, I love the mama bear mode and because you have to, because like you said, if you don't, and you're with the school on this, like, oh, you know, I don't know why, why are you loud? Why? Whatever. Then who on earth is going to stick up for her? Right. It, it's gotta be you. And it does like, you know, it guts me when I hear that she's been disrespectful to teachers, you know, cause that is something we struggle with at home. And it, um, one of the things that I've kind of figured out is, is how much of it is from like, for example, when she was younger, I felt like when we would take their electronics and it was time for bed, then I would kind of get this like litany of ailments at night. It would be like her toe hurts and the sheets weren't right. You know, it would just like, she'd come in and just kind of be this litany of ailments. And I would kind of go, okay, well, let's deal with this at noon instead of 9 PM or whatever. But as she struggled more, it's, um, it's been more kind of things I've done wrong at the end of the day, kind of, or like she wanted me to order shoes or wanted, you know, this, it would be very unpleasant for me, as I was getting ready for bed, like this sense of um, stuff to get off her chest. And I, I decided it just wasn't good for either of us. And I, I knew she was, you know, safe at night and I had her electronics and I just, my husband was out of town with our oldest kid. And I just said, I'm not, I'm not accepting um, complaints at this time. Like my, I'm, I'm getting in the bed, I'm reading if there's some stuff you want to talk to me about in the daytime, we can write it out some things, but I, I just, you know, I don't deserve that. And I don't think it helps either of us. Um, and I know it was coming from anxiety and, you know, school was starting and all those things, but I have to like take care of myself too. And I have to have enough energy and stamina. I have three other kids you know, and, um, I feel like sometimes it could just all go to one and it, it's not fair, you know? No, 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 it's not. But what I really love is the way that you are both mama bear mode with the school, right. because you are going to advocate for it and you set your boundaries with her as well to, to take care of yourself. Right. What a really cool I struggle with that. I'm I'm kind of one or the other. I'm either completely on my kid's side, but then I let myself go or vice versa. So how do you, like, how do you find that balance, especially setting boundaries? That is hard to do 
I really suck at setting boundaries and holding to them. So good for you. Like, what are your tips? <laughs> <That's great. laughs> like I said, I'm making it up as I go along. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has helped me is, is just to imagine that if I were watching it from my mom's point of view or from a sister who loved me or a family, you know, like, would they want me to be getting this list of, you know, complaints at nine o'clock at night from somebody I had helped all day, they wouldn't. So it is kind of a protectiveness of myself that um, they would do that for me if they knew it was going on. If I saw this happening to my oldest with her child, I would think, I mean, she doesn't have a child, she's only 21, but I would think, um, no, back off Caroline. She's doing her best, you know, Mm -hmm. be nicer to your mother. So how did that go to set that boundary? Not great at first. Yeah. Um, and I also, we switched up some of her medicine, which, cause it felt like at night she was kind of jacked and I was kind of like, what is going on? Like it, and I don't think the psychiatrist totally got what I was saying. Um, but we've kind of lowered her dose of anxiety medicine. Cause I, you know, for the first time I would think at night, like, is she bipolar? What is going on? It would just be this like jacked is the only way I can describe it. Um, and that has gotten better since we lowered that dosage. Uh, and now I'm going to get a trickle of complaints through the day, but that's, that. I can handle it better. I can't yeah. handle it at night when I'm done. Was she able to, when, when you were telling her, like, this is really hard for me to hear, especially before bed, mm-hmm. was she able to understand that? Um, I think so. And she would still come in. I think she needs... And I'm grateful for this. She needs physical affection, even when she's struggling. And so I started to figure out, I wasn't like locking the door. I just wasn't accepting complaints at that time. So she would still come in and want to hug and kind of be near me, which is great. I can do that. I'm I'm glad even when she's struggling that she finds comfort in that. We can, we can handle that. I was glad for that, but not the not the complaints. But what an amazing switch because mm-hmm. you set that boundary that she still has access to you right. and you're there to love her. And it's even better than before because now you can snuggle and hang out rather than dump the negativity stuff. And you did that by putting that boundary in there. That's very inspirational. Oh, well, I, thank need, you. <laughs> I need to write that one down for me. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're despite her challenges, you are still dictating what, where that line is. And that's okay. You know, there is a line. I know you're struggling, but for my own sanity, this is where I have to draw the line. And that's, that, that's, that's fantastic. That's very, very important and very hard to do. And I think some of that also comes just from necessity of, like I said, it's not an ICU crisis situation. This is, this is, been going on a long time and it's not going to go away. You know, when she suddenly gets to high school, um, like it, you know, we're looking at a long, long stretch and I think she'll, I know she'll be a great adult. (laughs) I just don't think it's going to be smooth sailing for the next, you know, suddenly till she is an adult and they, you know, we're going to have an extra year. We did an extra year of pre-K. So I know that they'll be 19 when they, graduate. And that's, you know, for my older two, I know when they're 18, they're ready to go, (laughs) you know, so kind of looking ahead too that 
we're going to have that extra year makes me aware of needing some to pace ourselves, I guess. So good. So my twins as well. Um, I also did an extra year of pre-K, so they also will be 19. Same thing. Um, and I never thought it, thought about it like that. You know, it is an extra year for, for them developmentally, it was the right move. Um, but that is an extra year of strife at home and setting your boundaries now, even if they change, I mean, they will change. Right. They will change. They will change. Right. I I have to ask you more about the boundary thing, just because it's really inspirational to me, but do you, where else do you put boundaries in your day with your kids? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I might have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there aren't, maybe, I mean, that's, the fact that you have this one is mm-hmm. you only, I, I guess we're supposed to set boundaries for what really is very important. I mean, we can't set them for every little thing. Right. But I'm right. trying to think about, you know, my own kids and and they're younger, the twins are nine and I have a six-year-old. And so, you know, what doesn't go well, you know, well, I suppose this could count. My, my daughter's having trouble right now with, um, the discomforting feeling when something doesn't feel right. Like for example, shoes and socks, but also different foods. It could be any number of things. <laughs> so she, before school, she's very anxious, socks off, socks on, shoes off, shoes on, fixing the laces 5,000 times. And finally, two days ago, I said, you may only fix your shoes three times for each foot. And after that, you just have to deal with the uncomfortable feeling. And on the second day of that, one foot only needed two times and one needed one. And that hasn't happened in weeks. And I, I suppose it's because I just was, I had it. <laughs> I get that she's uncomfortable, but we can't do this for 45 minutes every morning. Right. So maybe boundary setting, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily around rules or anything. It's just around something that is out getting out of hand. Right. Right. Hmm. And one thing, this is kind of different, but I feel like my older kids, so one is in college here in town. So she's at UGA and my son is up in Michigan. And I feel like they've taught me about some boundaries because they set them with me, like in a way that I had to be like, oh yeah, you really, especially the one who went away to college here in town, because I think there was a sense of like, I am away. And she was right. You know, she didn't want to babysit. She didn't, I mean, she was trying to go to college, even though it was, you know, 10 minutes away. Um, and then with my son too. So I've kind of set some rules for myself about, um, <laughs> I have this whole thing where I just have to work on fixing my face when they tell me things that are, um, none of it's dangerous. None of it's <laughs> for college students, but I just have to be like, Anna, if they're going to keep telling you things, you're going to have to fix your face because oh my gosh. I want them to keep telling me things. Yeah. That's my goal is for them to, whatever it is, I want them to tell me stuff. And so I've had to like, sometimes leave the room or take a deep breath and just be like, I want you to keep telling me things. I guess. Yeah. And that, that counts too. I love that the, the older kids like set boundaries with you and that, that taught you something because again, this is something that I have always struggled with. I always feel like in order to make, I suppose I could probably use some therapy on this, but in order to make everyone like me and accept me, even though I'm liked and accepted, I need to let them do or say or act however 
and I'll just tolerate it. Um, but when it comes to a neurodivergent kid where those behaviors and, and the words can be so hurtful um, and so disrespectful um, to be able to say, no, you know, no, I'm not going to listen to that is fantastic. Hmm. And I think, you know, when you were talking about children misbehaving in public, another piece of it that has been such a steep learning curve for me is the twins are African-American and um you know, there is a sense sometimes when I'm in public that if one is being disrespectful or they're not doing what I need them to do, especially when they were younger. And then I also feel like I'm, I'm not raising them properly within the black community. And they're, you know, I'm getting input in that way. Like that adds a different, a different layer. And as they've gotten older, I've tried to be more open to um, other people jumping in <laughs> like one of my kids we were at a church in Chicago visiting friends and she was doing a whole like laying across the I mean just being all over the place and the security woman walked up and she was African-American and she asked me first she said is is she okay you know she was like four or five and I said she's fine she's just having a morning and I was just going to let her have a morning. I just wasn't, I didn't have it in me. And the security guard kind of got right up to Katie and said, you need to, you need to sit up right now. And it was this sense of, um, she knew more than I did. And I think, and she was right. And I, I appreciated that she acknowledged me first because I have found out in public, especially, I think people see my twins before they see me because they see them as their own and know what they're going to face. And the expectations are even higher than they are for my white kids on how they should behave. And so, um, and man, Katie sat right up. <laughs> like she, she knocked that off. And some of it was that it was a stranger telling her what to do, but some of it also was, just this recognition that that was not going to fly. Um, so that's a tricky, tricky balance because sometimes I'm like, well, this is the best that I can do. And I know it's not acceptable, but this is where we are. And then sometimes I also am like, yes, I need help. I need help. I am raising African-American girls in the South. Yeah. And what is going to be expected of them as they walk around in the world and, um, it's going to be different than what's expected of me and my biological kids. Which is so true and completely unfair, of course. Um, That does, that does bring an extra piece into the whole thing and teaching them to love themselves for who they are. Mm -hmm. I was, when you were talking about the security guard example, I, I feel like if I were you in that moment, I actually would struggle a little bit and this just, this is a me problem. I said, you said, you said, she's fine. She's having a morning. She's not fine. And she's probably being disrespectful, but, but you have decided that that is not a battle you're going to pick. And yes, that the security guard asked you, thank goodness. But at the same time, you said she's fine. And she stepped in and I don't know that I like it's very complicated. It is very complicated and it has come up with, um, with hair, you know, that I wasn't Mm -hmm. doing their hair right. I mean, strangers, (laughs) really like they look like boys, you need to do something about their hair. And I 
have just decided to err on the side of um, accepting what people are telling me because they're taking a risk. Um, acknowledging my kids, trying to help me. Yeah. Nobody looks at my white kids and decides if they're being cared for by their hair. That's uh, not how people uh. decide. But with the twins, that w- that is important culturally. And yes. that is how people know that I am taking care of them. So I had to find somebody who would help me with her hair. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we go into a beauty shop. We are the only white people in there. I turn them over because it is not not something I am good at. I've, I've done enough to make sure people know they belong to someone, but, um, they, they know what they're doing more than I do. And I think that that's different. And I think that's totally fine. Um, I imagine if it were in reverse, it would be the same sort of thing because, um, you're right. People judge by appearance and that is not fair. Um, but if your kids want to feel accepted in the black community, then yes, yes. Then you, you, you need help. Right. And regardless, I mean, and any, anybody interjecting and how to parent my kid is, I think right. where my sensitive spot is. And that's just me because it makes me feel like, how do you, this random stranger know more about parenting a neurodivergent kid than I do when I'm trying my absolute hardest every day? I don't, that's like I said, it's my own issue. Right. Mm. I, I, my hunch at the time was that she was looking ahead and that having a misbehaving kid who is like tall for her age and looks older than she is could be dangerous. See, I see. And that's, that's different. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. So this is, this is a lot like this. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. It is a lot. Thank you. That that's really helpful. I mean, that has been one thing that like my therapist has been the most helpful with people just saying, gosh, this is a lot in one family. You know, this is a lot going on. Cause if not, I look around a lot and I'm like, gosh, Anna, why can't you just, you know, handle all of this? Why can't you pull it together? Why can't you, you know? bring the right snacks when you're supposed to, instead of forgetting. Um, Cause it, you know, it is a lot. And I, yeah. It's maybe because your brain is on overload and you are doing all the things and your brain, like you're thinking constantly, <coughs> excuse me, about everything you have to do. And so, yeah, you might bring the wrong snacks. And the fact of the matter is all parents bring the wrong snacks but neurotypical kids can usually go with the flow with that and neurodivergent kids can't. It's right. not that other parents never forget the snack. It's just that depending on the child's nature, they can roll with it or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part, but getting other people to understand that. And the fact that you, you know, you, you need the acknowledgement. We all do that. It's a lot. Because what's on the flip side of that is it's not a lot and you should be able to handle it. You asked for this. You wanted kids. You whatever. Um, Family, the the core values of of family and trust and um, love. Yes. But also defiance, disrespect and learning disabilities and, and, and. um, And that's the part that people just seem to forget. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That's really hard. So you're in it. You're, you're in it. <laughs> yeah, we are in it. Um, what, what do you need? How, how, I was already thinking while you were talking that I have a couple resources that I feel like could be helpful. And I can tell you after, um, yeah. uh, and, you know, actually some different categories, but, um, what, what do you, what do you need? Like wave of the wave of the magic wand. What do you need? Um, I, even talking to you has been helpful about the school stuff. Good. We've, we've looked at the local public school and we're trying to wait till high school, but we may have to make a shift before. Um, so just even the acknowledgement that, you know, maybe it's not working at school <laughs> and we've changed schools before with other kids and with her, you know, like I can change schools. I can, I can do the paperwork. We can let people know, you know, I can, so I think we have to look at the schools. I think I have to figure out schools in the next couple of months. Um, I think it's just helpful to me to know that there's other people out there, your group and others that just get it, that it's not something you can explain and you shouldn't have to explain, um, but that it is, it's really hard some days and it doesn't have anything to do with how much you love your kid um, or, you know, a strategy that's going to work. I just, um, the, the strategies <laughs> that work for my other kids just, just don't work. Yeah. And it's not as if there's some magic answer out there that, that everybody else knows, but you, and you just have to find it there. There might be pieces, you know, little, little things that help right. for a short time. And then they don't even help anymore. But there is there isn't a magic answer, and so you're the fact of the matter that you do put in so much of yourself into raising all of your kids, the fact that you do set the boundaries and then still invite them in for snuggles, the fact that you do come and show up with the paper and the pencil, this it this is like there's nothing you could be doing differently, nothing. There's nothing there. Might, again, there might be specific strategies to try, but when it comes to who is best to take care of these kids, especially your neuro neurodivergent one, it is you and you're doing a fantastic job and time will show that age will show that maturity will show that strategies will show that medication will show that, but, but you, you couldn't be doing any better. Like there's nothing you could be doing differently. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That is such a, such an affirmation. And I think just this idea, this shift that I've had to of what, what okay looks like um, for my kids. It's different for each kid and it's a moving target. Um, and so, you know, she will be okay, but it will be okay for her and it will be different than my other kids. And it, I think, you know, once we get her through high school, I think I'm going to feel like I graduated. You know, I feel like with my older two, like, I don't know who most of their high school teachers were. It wasn't my job. It was theirs. They were going to go to college. They needed to figure it out. Like I, they could handle it. Um, even though like my oldest has dyslexia and some other challenges, she, it's, it's a different kind. It's still a learning disability, but it's different. Um, and I'm not going to be able to be hands-off with this child going through high school. I know that. No, not, not, no, you won't. Um, yeah. 
what I think my favorite thing that you said this entire conversation, there was a lot of really amazing things, but I think my favorite is what you just said about being okay and what okay looks like. Okay. For the kid. Right. It's not lowering standards. It's just changing the standards and they fit the child, the person, and not necessarily you and coming around to that and being okay with that. You know, there's never going to be a time that my children don't struggle with something. There's always going to be something. And so we're never going to get perfection, healing. We're done. It's over. Like, no, this is who they are. So what does okay look like for each kid? And if she's happy and thriving as best as she can still with struggles, right. Then that might be it. That's the top. That's the okay. Right. Yeah. Husband always says like with our kids that we're always gunning for happy, healthy, and independent. And I think that is a great goal, but I think even those will look different for each kid. I'm so glad you said that. Happy, healthy, and independent. Fantastic goal. Right. That last one. It's the last one. It's the independent. Does right. independent mean every single kid is now able to move out at 18, whether they go to college or join the workforce or whatever, but like, and, and never need you again? Right. Maybe some kids. Maybe right. independent means getting through the day without losing it and keeping keeping it together. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's powerful. That means a lot. And I think that's, that's my biggest takeaway. My, my two big takeaways from this conversation are the boundary setting. I need to, okay. Like when they go to bed, they come in here 5,000 times. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to, I say, go back to bed, go back in your room. No, I go back. But like, that's not a boundary. They're still coming in. So that that's my, one of my takeaways. And then the other one is just about redefining what okay is and g- good enough And, and yeah, so thank you for both of those. Thank you. Yeah. This has been so helpful and just being able to talk it through without, um, you know, I'm not asking, I feel like when I talk through it at school, it's because I'm asking for something or if I talk through it with my extended family, it's because I need them to watch them for a weekend so I can get my head straight and go somewhere with my husband and not, you know, it's, there's always like an ask almost at the end. So this has been really nice just to talk about it, just to, just to, with somebody who understands it and has been in a similar place because there's, there's not one thing that I can ask of you or, you know, and say, oh, well, that'll, that'll fix it. And I think that's what, where the grief comes in, um, this isn't something that the right medicine, the right, you know, it can all help. Um, but she's not going to turn into a different kid completely. Um, and I think there is some real grief with that. And I think it's, I think it's okay. Um, but I don't really know where to, where to take that, um, where to, where to like set that down. And, and have it feel safe. Because I think if you met her, she's really charming. She's beautiful. She's athletic. You know, I think she can really come across as just wonderful. Um, but she's so, so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're, there's plenty of reasons to be thankful for her. And I am, but there's also some very real grief. And where do you where's a safe place to, to set that down? I don't know. 
I, I appreciate that. And th- that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing, to be honest, is because I did not have a place to set that grief down either without fear of judgment. And right. so I I want the podcast, Instagram, whatever. I want all the places to be judgment-free so that people can set it down. Because the fact of the matter is you can love your child beyond words and also grieve the fact that they are going to struggle their whole lives. Those are not, you know, they don't have to come together. Like it, you can love and feel grief. It has nothing to do with love. None of this has anything to do with love. No one, we, we are, we should never question that because that's, that's not the issue. Um, so I agree. It's hard to talk about it until you know where to talk about it. Um, And certainly when it involves your own feelings and your own vulnerability, school is not going to be the right place for that. And family is not always going to be the right place for that. So I I appreciate you. I mean, being brave, being vulnerable. Um, A lot of the moms that listen have younger kids, but a lot have teenagers. And actually it's, it's often the moms who are raising teenagers who are really looking for support because a lot of moms stop talking by the time their kids are 10, 11, 12. So I can already think of some moms in my head who would really love to hear this episode um, because they have teenagers um, and are struggling. So thank you for doing this. Um, you know, and it lives forever on the on the internet, um, at least for now in, in podcast world for moms who have upcoming teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Anna. This was delightful. Um, I, I appreciate it. Let's stay in touch. And um, actually, I'll, I'll speak with you after even about some resources I'm thinking about. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you. Yes. Take care. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website on theharddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at on the hard days with dots in between each word or in my free Facebook community, On the Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.